As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Before we begin this week's show, there follows a personal statement on behalf of Chris Woff. Oh, God. <clears throat> Dear Pot on the Tine listener, this is an incredibly difficult step for me to take, but over the last few weeks and months, my professional behaviour has not lived up to the standards I set for myself or which you would expect of me. I would like to apologise without reservation. I am determined to learn from this and grow as a human being. It has come to my attention that I may have intimated, on this podcast and elsewhere, that Miguel Almron is not the greatest footballer the world has ever produced, which he clearly is. Furthermore, I may have inadvertently suggested that rather than being a greylish beating goal god with a gossamer touch and a blessed smile, oh god, are you, are you kidding? I can't read Just this. Re- I can't Chris, read it. Just read it, Chris. Right. A greylish beating goal god with a gossamer touch and a blessed smile that he may score flukes and never provides assists. I now accept that I am both completely wrong and a genial idiot who has an unhealthy fixation with meat and knows nothing about football. I hereby tender my resignation from the podcast with immediate effect. Oh, hello and welcome to Pot on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... The Mags finished the first half of the season with a win over Chelsea, taken in good spirit by the visitors. Almiron completes football with the assist for scorer Willock. And you tell us how you're feeling about it all. In short, pretty bloody pleased I'd imagine. Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I'm Taylor Payne, and in a podcasting comeback worthy of modern politics and home secondaries. Chris, you're back already. Are you suitably chastened? I feel embarrassed publicly, and Miguel Almiron is the, is the basically the cause of that, so I yes. would like to apologise unreservedly for him. But I, I am back, and I will instead pick a different Newcastle United player to slag off over the course of the next few months <laughs> in the hope that they too become just as good as Miguel Almiron has become. <laughs> oh... Good stuff, George. How the devil are you, mate? Oh, George Calkins here. I'm just so I'm just so happy after that intro. Beautiful it's, stuff. Um, I look forward to Chris's path towards growth, personal growth. But um, we 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 get to watch him reading out that statement, Taylor. It was just an absolute thing of thing of beauty. It was, wasn't it? Absolute thing of like, beauty. Like Miguel yeah, Amiron's assist, a thing of beauty, Chris, wasn't it? Absolutely. What did you say, Absolutely. Chris, before we came on here? What did you say? That he lost control of the ball. What did? <laughs> Oh, you can't yeah, let him have anything, can learn. you? You cannot let never that lad learn. have anything. Anyway, uh, right, I suppose we should start with Saturday night, shouldn't we? Absolutely unbelievable, George. We played them off the park, man. Come on. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I don't know what to say. I've had so many conversations with people since then, and it's gone along the theme of, we're third? We're third? We're third? We're third. Still not sinking in. No, still not sinking in. And uh, as the game was going on, Chris and I were looking at the stats from... I mean, and I realise we're doing this all the time at the minute. You go back and have to compare this version of Newcastle to a previous version. 
and the home game against Chelsea last season, and that was a game where Graham Jones was in charge and he'd he was flicking between systems and really just trying to shut up sharp. And it was about trying to stop goals going in. Didn't work very well. Chelsea had eighty percent of possession in that game last season, and this was a game of equals. And in fact, it wasn't a game of equals because Newcastle were clearly superior. Absolutely, and. Chelsea were the team that came, it looked like, with a game plan to not concede. That looked like the sum total of their ambition. Yeah. And it was just a it was a magnificent occasion. And at the end of it all, yet again, we're reevaluating or thinking about what this Newcastle team could be, not just in the future, but in the here and now. Astonishing. Saturday night was the first time. I mean, the, the, there might have been some alcohol involved, but it was the first time that I ever allowed myself to get slightly giddy about all of this. You know, I'm, I'm naturally pessimistic, I think. And I, I, I kind of always felt like, you know, there'll be a drop off of form. Newcastle have played well, but it's bound to come to an end at some point. Saturday night, I actually started to get a little bit excited. It's incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. They keep winning games. Five on the spin now. It's just brilliant. It is, and I think the reason that, that you're getting giddy and starting to believe is that they're not only winning games, they're deservedly winning games and comfortably. I mean, they made Chelsea look extremely average. I was really, really disappointed with Chelsea. I mean, I know they'd made changes and it looked like in some ways that World Cup players had just tossed it off. Yeah. But equally, I mean, you still look at the the, the players in that team. You had Jorginho, you've got Mendy and Goal, you've got Thiago Silva playing, you've got some very, very Kula good footballers, yeah. Bali, some very good, good footballers, and yet Newcastle didn't let them have a second on the pitch. They forced them into mistakes. They were very clever in the way that they pressed. Ahmed Walid, our colleague, has written has done a very good piece looking at that and how Newcastle did exploit Chelsea's weaknesses by stopping them from playing balls into the midfield. Just like in midweek when uh, or last week, sorry, when George didn't like me talking tactically throughout the match. Again, we had this situation on Saturday where I said early on, I said Willick was pressing. Quite often when, when Newcastle pressed, the, the, the midfielders and number eights pressed slightly wider, but actually Willick was, you could see Joe Linton was pressing wide when he was in the left forward position and Willick was pressing inside and it was clear that they were trying to cut off those passes inside. And it basically, Chelsea didn't have another option. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't get out. And it wasn't dominant in terms of Newcastle didn't have the massive amount of chances as they've had in some of their recent games but they had the better of the game they had more chances than Chelsea and they were the only side I felt who were actually trying to win the game there was one point in the second half where Armando Broyer received the ball about on halfway ran about 40 yards and had nobody within 40 yards of him and I turned to George and I said this is this is reminiscent of Newcastle for several years absolutely where a striker yeah. would get the ball and and, and it was a different it was it was a current Champions League side coming to Newcastle who were resorting to that and that was just that just says everything it's such a compliment to this Newcastle side it is and I said on Saturday night have you ever seen a Chelsea team come to Newcastle and play for a draw which is essentially what they were doing and it was crazy I'd, n- I'd never seen anything like it a sensational goal by Joe Willock, George. What a finish that is. Struck so true and so firm. A brilliant assist from Miggy, whatever Chris says. Uh, it was it was a superb moment, wasn't it? That, and St. James's Park went absolutely mad. Yeah, totally brilliant. And I mean, I disagree with one thing Chris said there, which is that I wasn't disappointed with Chelsea. I was delighted with Chelsea. I'm delighted that they were so shit. Um, and funnily enough, our lovely colleague Simon Johnson was there with us and um, he was pessimistic from before the game. He didn't think Chelsea would kind of show up, and he was, and he was right. But it's such a—I mean, all of it is such a shock. Still, t- to me, feels like a a shock to the system. But no, Willock scored with a with a great goal, and you know he has that lovely habit of scoring in streaks. So that's two in a row now in terms of Southampton and Palace. So I mean, I know we've got a break now, but hopefully that's him right in form and back amongst it. But Everybody, I mean, everybody contributed to that game. There was no weak link. And that's the beauty of the Newcastle team at the minute. Everybody's up for it. Everybody's playing well. And the people who are coming on make a difference too. I mean, it's it's astonishing. It was amazing. I mean, Chelsea barely had a shot in that second half. Chris, I remember Conor Gallagher going close and Nick Pope pulling out a really good save to his left-hand side. But apart from that, there wasn't an awful lot to shout about for Chelsea and they were clearly frustrated at the end of the game uh, when Newcastle entered shithousing mode. An, an astonishing last 10 minutes, wasn't it? It was, and I mean, that was just going on that one save that Pope had to make, which he had nothing else to do all game, and yet that's why he's been so effective, because he is so alert in the, in those moments. That came from Newcastle mistakes, really. Newcastle 
first of all, Trippier had given it away, that he then recovered and got the ball back, and then Newcastle, trying to play out from the back, gave it away, and Chelsea almost did to Newcastle what they... It was Bruno who got caught, wasn't it? Yeah, Bruno got caught eventually, but it wasn't it wasn't great passing between a few Newcastle players in that, in that build-up, and it was just a little bit sluggish. But the, the, the final few minutes was... It looked at that point as if Newcastle physically maybe had almost expended themselves in terms of the press and that what they'd done up to that point of the season. Maybe they couldn't yeah. control the ball as much as they had in earlier stages. And, and Chelsea were forcing them deeper and deeper. You could see how and Tyndall on the touchline trying to encourage him to get higher. But instead, what Newcastle resorted to doing was the last remaining energy they, ha- they had was just putting in sly tackle after sly tackle. Or, as in some cases, almost leg-breaking tackles, I would argue, because some of them yeah. were, were not the, were not the, uh, oh, the cleanest tackles. Because I've ever seen in the world. <laughs> the one, the one Bruno put in. Oh. If he'd connected, he could have been looking at jail time for that. It was ridiculous. And Sean, and Sean as well. Sean his as well, yeah. his tackle was a really bad one. So I'm not, you know, I think at this point it's very important to sort of state that we're not, um, you know, not condoning acts of physical violence on the football pitch. On the other hand, <laughs> they didn't connect, and it was yeah. fucking hilarious. It was. And there was something. This is something that Chris and I are going to actually write about this this week about this turnaround in form. So yes, I mean I'm being facetious. I'm not, you know, not condoning bad, bad tackles. But there was something sort of very rudimentary but elemental and sort of beautiful about the way that every single player was flying into that tackle because they knew that they would. They sort of felt like they had to do that to win. So there was something very beautiful about that. People almost putting, you know, putting themselves in jeopardy of a red card. To put everything on the line for that for that win, and you know, I'm sorry. One of the most beautiful things, if you can, if you see that list of bookings that Newcastle got: 95th minute Nick Pope, 98th minute Sean Longstaff, and then the best of all, 99th minute Jamal Lascelles on the t- t- touchline. Man, not even on the pitch. Yeah, and Cookery as he takes a throw in. Amazing. Yeah, and absolutely everybody in it together. And again, you know, there's. The shit housing. If 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 it's a team playing against you doing it, it's very annoying. It's frustrating, and it feels like cheating and all the rest of it. But when you're so used to seeing a team, as we are in Newcastle, lie down and accept defeat or not be able to do anything about it, to see this sort of bunch of warriors, you know, prepared to put everything on the line to get a win, from our perspective, right here, right now, it's just a it's a thing of beauty. It really is. It is. And of all of those tackles that went in in that last uh, that last few minutes, the one by Dan Byrne, Chris, Oof. I think it just encapsulates everything, doesn't it? The lad sitting next to me, my mate Brian, went, oof, you fucker, as that went in, which I just thought was perfect. If he was commentating on the game, that would have been fine, yeah. No, no, that was a classic. Oof, you fucker! I mean, it yeah, was I think brilliant, that was wasn't the it? Only response. Oof, you fucker! Yeah, that was the only response to that tackle. He took man, ball, of- legs, face, everything. Yeah, there was a bit of history in that in that tackle, wasn't there, Chris? There was a bit of history in that tackle. Uh, for those who don't remember, Kai Havertz, when Newcastle lost at Stamford Bridge in March had elbowed Dan Byrne That's right, and yeah. broken his nose. And, and at the time, a lot of Newcastle fans, I, I think, felt there was at least an element of that he knew that Dan Byrne was there and that it wasn't necessarily completely accidental. And so, yeah, Byrne had gone through him, let, he know, let him know that he felt it. And uh, afterwards, when when it all kicked off on the pitch, I just found it hilarious. First of all, you had Kai Havertz coming up to Dan Byrne, take him on, and then Mark Kukaria. I mean, what is going through the mind of those two when they just look up and they have this tower no idea. of a blithe man as well? It's not like... They're just, not <laughs> a blithe man. A blithe not man. Not just a man. He wasn't just a man. Tower of a blithe man. He was man. a tower of a blithe man. <laughs> it's an old Northumbrian folk song, The Tower of the Blithe Man. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. My favourite one was Hakim Ziyech, who turned round, pushed Joel Linton, and then realised what he'd done and retreated very quickly. He would have folded him in half like a hot Mars bar, wouldn't he? That was, <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, it is that it is that thing of you know seeing seeing that sort of or seeing and feeling that connection between stands and team. You know, fans absolutely shouting themselves raw. Brilliant atmosphere again, and the team responding to it, and the team doing absolutely everything they can to get a win. And again, I want to reiterate: it's not about violence. It's not about bad behavior it's just about it's 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 just so different to what we're seeing and what we what we're used to 
doing everything for a win. All those best teams over the years, you know, you look at the Atletico Madrid team, uh, you know, got the Champions League final, won the league in Spain. They've all got that nasty streak in them. They've all got that element of, you know, we're going to play by the rules, but we're going to skirt very close to the edge of the rules here at times. And it's just that that do what you have to mentality to get the points, isn't it? And we've lacked that for such a long time, Chris. It's been a long time since I've seen a Newcastle team prepared to put their body on the line, put their, you know, everyone pulling together for each other. And, and it's just a beautiful sight. It is. And, and beyond even the sort of shithousery and that sort of thing, it's uh, what, I, what has really impressed me about Newcastle, probably since the international break, has been their game management in general, the way that they have really managed to get through games quite easy. Spurs, they're never really were under too much pressure towards the end of that. It might not have felt like at the time, but it's not like they seeded loads and loads of opportunities. And the same to Chelsea at the weekend, that they are just seem so confident in what they are doing in the game plan that's there, and they aren't suddenly losing their heads. I mean, I wrote about this after the game on Saturday, that that's, that's what's so encouraging about what's going on now. It's not just that Newcastle are third, and yes, to reiterate, Newcastle are third at Christmas, but... It's it's that they look comfortable. They've been in the top four for the last few matches, and they look they don't they don't seem just suddenly daunted by that prospect. I mean, now you're gonna have yeah. five or six weeks to think about it, and suddenly maybe things do change. But over the course of the last few weeks, it, it hasn't changed anything. There has been no change of mindset. It's very much been that 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 almost that they feel that that given the performances, they warrant being there, and that that's been great to see. And hopefully, long may that continue because on the form they're at the minute, you can't see an obvious weakness in in how they're playing, and they just look like a very very strong outfit absolutely and they don't have anything to fear against any team now do they building a portfolio with fidelity basket portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich it's as simple as picking your stocks and etfs sort of like your meats and other topics and managing it as one big juicy investment That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We asked for your questions as well on the real-time section of the Athletic app and on Twitter. Uh, and a good Joe wants to know, who is the biggest shithousing, piss-boiling mag uh, currently? Uh, Trippier, maybe. Uh, a shithouser on the quiet, Trippier, I think. Cher always feels like uh, Dan Byrne is a dark horse in that area. And Stuart Sinclair asks, was LaSalle shithousing of Kukuria for that throw-in? The best example of Eddie Howe's shithousing mags that we've seen. I thought so. It was magnificent. Uh, yeah, Chris... It, Who's the who's the biggest shit house we've got? I think it's <laughs> <laughs> what a question. I never foresaw at the start of the season. I don't know. I never foresaw Chris celebrating shit housing by you. Yeah, yeah. Who is the biggest shit house? There are quite a few. I mean, someone who I think again is a bit of a dark horse on this front is I think Bruno Gimaraes is a bit of a dark horse as well. Oh, absolutely, oh, yeah. very much. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, you don't come through the Brazilian leagues without being able to look after yourself in midfield, <laughs> no, mate. No. No, so I think I'd offer him up, but I, th- yeah, I think my I think mine would actually be Callum Wilson. I think Callum Wilson just loves confrontation and just all the way through, just the, the things that he shares to defenders, the way that he, he leaves one in there. So I'd probably go for Callum Wilson, but there's some serious contenders there. Absolutely, George. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I, I, f- I find it very difficult to single one out. I mean, I th- and I'm we 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 did talk to about to to this about Dan Byrne. As I say, we're going to write about it later later on in the week. But you know, we we're talking about it as a compliment, and they're all in it together. And again, Sean was asked was talked about it too. And there is just that incredible close knit feeling, all doing it for each other, all pushing each other, all getting better. So I don't know. I wouldn't want to pick one out. I think they're all massive shit houses, and I love them all equally for it. Can I offer another one? Actually, and I don't know why we haven't mentioned it yet. Obviously, Jason Tindall must be in there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, the housewife shit house. <laughs> but then also, if you go back to Wednesday, Nick Pope was doing it, uh, and you know, for the penalty shootout, he was holding the ball, he was having a chat, you know, he was he was um, not giving the Palace player the ball. Get told, got told to do it by the referee, got told to push it back. So you know, they're just all they're all doing it, and. It's it is it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. There's been a little bit of backlash on Twitter. I've seen some Chelsea fans getting very irate about the whole thing, and you know, saying it was un, un, unsportsmanlike and all this sort of stuff. And 
I personally couldn't give a shit. If you win the game, do what you have to do to, to win the game. You know, it's it, you know, it's lovely to be everybody's second favourite team and be everyone's best friends, but it doesn't get your points, does it, at the end of the day? No, no, no. And I think that's fine. I mean, I, th- I think there was a point right at, towards the end of the match in that last five minutes when the referee had just lost control. I mean, I think that was a I think that's a wider point. He didn't blow. Um, and I think he should have blown, and I think he lost control of the match. I think that's, but I don't think. I mean, it was the Newcastle players putting putting challenges in and putting tackles in, but it's up to the referee in that moment to to kind of get a grip. And I don't think he did, and I think that's partially why then things spilled over right at the end. But no, I mean, I don't think Newcastle need to take lessons um, from anybody really. Um, plenty of other teams have had a nasty streak, as you said earlier, Taylor, over the years and have found a way to win games. Newcastle haven't been streetwise. It's been a failure of theirs and now they're streetwise. Absolutely. Uh, we've got a little bit of uh, post-match reaction here from Eddie Howe. Yeah, I thought a uh, very, very good performance from us tonight. Really high-level game, I thought, between two very good teams. I think night games here are always very special occasions. Tonight didn't disappoint. I do think it was two very good teams, as I say, uh, tactically very interesting whenever you come up against Graham's teams. I think they were so well set up. But I thought we we uh, performed a really good physical effort, incredible intensity in both phases of the game. And yeah, we're delighted to win. Last season was a very, very difficult season, a very different one to one we're experiencing this time around. Um, we just want to get as many points as, as quickly as we can. Um, we're enjoying the the moment we're in, everyone's together, everyone's united, we're all fighting for the same cause. I, th- I just think for us, it's we've just committed to every game. We haven't thought about any permutation or any consequence of the games. We've just tried to win them. And I, I think that's the best way for us to attack the second half of the season as well. Chris, it's worth reiterating once again, isn't it, what a remarkable spell of football this has been for Newcastle United. Carrying on from last season's form, obviously. Barring that last-minute winner for Liverpool, eighth minute of added on time, we'd be unbeaten if it wasn't for that goal. Yes, and that's why it's just been this consistent form. It's not that, even you go back further, Newcastle's form has been sustained throughout, say basically since the second half of January. And they've managed to evolve the team during that time, progress certainly in attack. The defence has just gone from strength to strength, but in attack, they've become a side who now have a lot more of the ball, who look to dominate when they can, who are front foot, who impose themselves on on the opposition. And there have only been a couple of games this season where Newcastle have fallen below that. Liverpool wasn't one of them. I mean, Liverpool, they were very unfortunate. You'd probably say Brighton, they were fortunate maybe to leave with a point. At large spells at Wolves, they weren't great. Um, but apart from that, Bournemouth, they weren't great at home, but Bournemouth didn't really deserve to win. So beyond that, you, you're looking at that and thinking, right, so they've played 15 matches, and in at least in 13 of them, they've been at least equals to the, the opponents. And in those opponents, you've got Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Spurs, or in many cases, they've been better. And that's what's been brilliant to see. I mean, it was into that that you, you can't hear the questions, but in the in the in the press conference, I actually asked how about about Chelsea, and he'd made this point about how he thought it was two very good teams going, and I'd sort of made the point about Chelsea coming up and and the difference between the last time they'd been to St James's when it was under Graham Jones and Newcastle had sat off and had twenty percent of the ball and not won a corner, and the difference and what sort of it it showed about Chelsea coming and showing his side respect by doing it this time, and he as usual when I ask a question, he didn't like the question. Um, and sort of, <laughs> sort of suggested that no Chelsea. He felt he's like I have to watch the game back. That did show respect, but but they came here to to give it a go. And it's just I just don't believe that was a good. I think that they thought more about Newcastle's strengths than than Newcastle did about Chelsea's strengths. That's the flip reverse now. It's not Newcastle thinking more about what the opposition can do to them. They're thinking about what they can do to the opposition, and that's been the key mindset change for me. And just to sort of reiterate what Chris said, I mean, I think if you if you do put the second half of last season together with this season, it does look seamless, but it's not seamless in the sense of how much Newcastle have changed their style and they're now, you know, they're now a front foot team um, as compared to last season. And so, you know, we do we do have to, you know, we have to acknowledge that, that that puts this season's achievement into a completely different perspective because they're playing different football. To be able to get to where they are, Whilst changing so dramatic, I mean, yes, defensively they're they're brilliant. It's it's by and large the same, um, you know, the same players barring Botman and obviously Nick Pope behind. But not not a lot has kind of changed there. But 
they're playing different football. And Chris men- mentioned Liverpool and the defeat there. I think that was I think that was still a really important moment for the team because although Eddie Howe said afterwards, he said to Alan Shearer that that's the kind of result that might live with him forever. Newcastle put a marker down that night. They they went there. They fought for everything. They did demonstrate this shithousery. And if it if that result affected them negatively, they've bounced back from it and become something else. And I don't know. I I I just think that was really important. But it's yeah. I mean, it's astonishing. The the run of form this season is astonishing. We keep looking for those moments for games that will. You know, games that will trip them up. I mean, I think at some point we should probably expect a dip. I mean, I, I, is this sustainable? I mean, it's it is sustainable. But the thing is, though, Jordan, they're not just beating teams that you would have expected to be in, around them at the start of the year. Teams like Fulham and Villa and and Brentford and Southampton, they're not just beating them; they're battering them. Yeah, yeah. And then they're beating teams like Spurs and Chelsea, and those are the teams that we would expect at the start of the season to not be anywhere near as as far as quality goes. It just shows you how far they've come. And you said before, it was different last year. It looked seamless, but it was horses for courses last year. You know, it was needs must. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we Absolutely. had to stay up for by hook or by crook. We had to stay in the league. And they did it. And this year, it's it's they've fucking properly put the hammer down, haven't they? They've they've made it they've made a, a real statement. And I and I'm massively impressed with them. Massively impressed. Um Chris, I thought uh, I thought Dan Byrne. Personally, I thought he had his best game in a black and white shirt on Saturday. I thought he was absolutely magnificent. I thought he didn't really put a foot wrong. And I know there's been chat about him playing in that left-back berth and obviously he moved inside towards the end of the game. But I think he's been magnificent. He has been absolutely excellent for Newcastle. And I think that we spoke about that tackle he did at the end of the game. That shows how much it means to him as well. He is really is uh, living out his dreams. And it's cliche, but he is. And you speak to him and the the enthusiasm he has for the club, the love and, and affection he has for, for everything that, that, that is going on, the way that, that, that Newcastle are going about things. He is really, really enjoying his football right now. And I agree with you. I think, he, I think he's been in excellent form, particularly seeing as he's been playing out of position. Absolutely. Uh, and Chris and George both spoke to Dan Byrne after the match. We're going to every game knowing that we set certain standards in the game and we feel as if we hit those standards. Every single game we feel like we're a match for everyone. don't think there's a team that's come to St James as part of the season we've sat off them. If we're going to get beat, it's going to be because we're pressing the life out of the team and their quality's sort of getting through. But yeah, as I said, we don't fear anyone. We're going every game full of confidence and hopefully it'll carry on after. The back five as a unit, just with Nick behind you and you at left back, Sven, and then Fabian and then uh, Kieran, you all seem to, to just know each other inside mm. out and you seem to really want to fight for each other. Is that, is that how you feel out there? Yeah, I think so. Like, as a team, not just a sort of back four, I think we sort of def- start defending from the front, but I think the more games that you play with each other, you sort of know when you feel as if they'll step into pockets and, and pe- uh, pick people up, or I know when I can go and press someone because I know Sven's coverings and so. So I think uh, the more you play with each other, you get more of a rhythm. And I think we've been really solid, but I said I think the lads who come in and come off the bench have really affected games as well. Football's different up here as well. Well, I've said before, like, it's a working-class city, and we're, first and foremost, they, they want the players to work hard. I know when I was sat up in the stand, that's what you wanted. If, if the players worked hard and, and they got beat, you would, would sort of accept it. And I think that's first and foremost, uh, every single game we'll go and we'll just leave it all on the pitch. And, just build from this might be a real sort of topic because obviously you haven't been included in the England squad but if there is an injury in the in the England squad and, and you were called upon do, do you back yourself to, to go? Yeah listen like, I was disappointed not to make the squad not because I thought that I would play in there but more just because I'm 30 year old now so the next World Cup so I'll be 34 so just sort of that one thing that sort of got away from you but yeah I'd, I'd back myself to do it I, I said before feel like I'm a leader in this team and I could bring that to the England team. I can cover lots of different positions and uh, don't, I don't think as many sort of left-sided defenders playing as well as I am this season. Uh, George Danburn's got to feel slightly disappointed for missing out on an England place at the World Cup, hasn't he? But he's done everything that he possibly could to have made Gareth Southgate's squad. It's not that he was saying he thinks he deserves to be there. His disappointment is a personal disappointment that at the age of 30, maybe that's his last chance gone. I hope not. Kieran Trippier's 32 and is you know, as he says himself, in the form of his career. And we also know that Gareth Southgate has watched Newcastle's previous two home games in which uh, seven uh, Englishmen were on the pitch. Chris and I wrote about this last week. And um, there's no reason why he shouldn't be in the conversation, shouldn't be in the rec- in the reckoning. He's been He's been exceptional, absolutely exceptional. If you're choosing on form 
um, then Harry Maguire does not go. Someone like Harry Maguire does not go, and someone like Dan Byrne should go. But um, you, you can understand you can understand uh, why Southgate's done what he's done, and you know, fair enough. But uh, he's been brilliant, no, and he wouldn't let anyone down. And of course, he's got that versatility too. And as he said, there aren't that many left-sided England um, players. So, but yeah, I'm sure he knows how much um, how much we love him and. Yeah, hopefully you'll have a good rest and come back fit and firing. Chris, you've got a little Dan Burn related yarn, haven't you? Well, it's just just again to sort of reiterate how much it it all means to him. Uh, a few weeks ago, when he was given the captain's armband for the final, I think it was the final five or six minutes of of the game, he, he was absolutely over the moon. He really was. Oh, it, was, wasn't a, it, was he? it was yeah, it was a wonderful day for his family. And afterwards, he went up. He's got he's got he's got a uh, box as a lot of the players do. And afterwards, he went up to the game and he, and he and he went and hugged a lot of his family. And then as he was leaving, I sort of went over. He was he, he went out on the pitch with his daughter in his arms, and I sort of just shouted over, oh, "Congratulations!" Congratulations, Dan. And he just said, I'm never taking this off and was just pointing at the armband. He's like, I'm not going to wash it and I'm never going to take it off. That was just a huge, oh, it's a huge moment for him and his family. And yeah, it's just great to see him doing so well. And uh, yeah, the England thing is a, is a disappointment. Obviously, he was never really that close to it because he hasn't played for them before. But in terms of options and versatility and form that he's in, best defence in the Premier League, I think that, uh, yeah, you can, feel, you can feel unlucky because of that. Absolutely. Uh, right then, chaps, let's say Wilson, Pope and Trebia all returned from the World Cup nice and fresh and Eddie Howe was able to make a couple of canny acquisitions in January uh, that don't upset the apple cart too much. Could Is there a chance here that Newcastle could do a Leicester, George? Is there any possibility? I mean, nobody thought it was possible when Leicester did it in 2016. Nobody thinks it's possible for Newcastle to do it, but is there any kind of hope for that? Well, I think I've sort of said a few times now, I don't want to be the person that kind of puts pressure on <laughs> Newcastle, but quite frankly, they couldn't give a fuck what I say. I mean, they're, they're just going to keep winning. They're not every the only week ones. Anyway. Um, yeah, just like the rest of no, us. No, that's <laughs> abso- absolutely fair enough. But I mean, they're what? They're seven points behind Arsenal, be it Arsenal have played a game less. So it's, it's of course, it's unrealistic. I mean, it, it is unrealistic, but then it's unrealistic where they are right now in terms of how we felt a few weeks ago but they're there and they're there on merit let's just see let's just see how far how far they can go it is though it's it's one of those strange seasons in the sense that Chelsea are eighth Liverpool are sixth Man United are fifth teams that we that we're used to seeing towards the top of the league like West Ham and this is in recent seasons and Wolves and Leicester are nowhere near it so Newcastle do have an opportunity to finish higher up the table than they might have thought at the start of the season. And because of the way they're playing, that's then, you know, you're, you're doubling that. You're doubling and tripling it. But let's just, you know, I think let's let's enjoy it. Let's just enjoy it. And let's let's not be the ones that put pressure on Newcastle because the longer it goes on, people will. And people will look and say they should finish in the top four from this position. I just want to enjoy it and love and, and love the moment. We don't need to put a a limit on them. We don't need to give them targets. I'm sure internally they've got their own targets. But anyway, it feels like a funny season and it feels like Newcastle are the story of the season. Absolutely. Eddie Howe and the entire football department are rightly getting endless amounts of praise for how they've turned things around on the pitch. And that has led to some incredible atmospheres at St. James's Park. The manager himself has referred to how special those uh, nighttime games can be. Uh, there is no doubt that football's going exactly as we would have wanted, uh, but they, they do remain uncomfortable aspects to how this has all come about. Uh, George, you wanted to make mention of a small group of protesters outside the ground that were doing something that they feel uh, is important. It's certainly brave because it's a bit of an unpopular thing to do uh, this moment in time. Yeah, um, it's a group called NUFC Fans Against Sports Washing, and they were demonstrating before the match. And Chris and I wanted to go down and, and have a chat um, to see what they were doing and why. And we did. We had a we had a good chat with John Hurd, who was organising it. Sadly, uh, we did record the interview, but we were right next to a burger van, so the quality wasn't uh, wasn't great. And yeah, we wanted to listen to their views. I mean, it felt like. Um, it was a small group. I think there were about eight people there demonstrating when we were there. And obviously you compare that to the noise and the atmosphere inside the stadium afterwards. But totally valid to be uncomfortable with Saudi's human rights record, which is what they were highlighting, and to feel that there should be a you know a different ownership model 
um, so on and so forth. So yeah, it was a, it was very interesting to be there. It's something that you know we will obviously continue to return to, and we would have played some audio if it was a bit better. But as they themselves said, this that was the start of something. They're not going away, and you know the sports washing story isn't going to go away from Newcastle anytime soon, anytime soon either. Absolutely not. Okay, I will be back in just a minute with your messages, but it's time to remind you to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, where you can get a subscription at the very special price of just £1 a month for the first six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. So, chaps, to round off this first part of what has been a magnificent season so far for Newcastle United, we asked you for your questions, thoughts and observations on both the real-time section of the Athletic app and also on Twitter using the hashtag pod on the time. Uh, thanks to everyone who responded. We had a heck of a lot. Uh, we've had to troll through them all and pick just a few, uh, and we're going to have a little look at those now. Um, Chris, let's have a look at this. Phil A says, do you think the break will end up having a positive or negative impact on the rest of the season? It's a very good question, that. It is a good question, and it's one which the more conversations I have with different people in and around football, the more I just flip-flop between trying to view it as a positive or a negative. I mean, it's, I think it's a negative in the sense that the form Newcastle have, the momentum they've built up, the struggles of other sides, and the fact that with this five- or six-week break, can other teams really analyse Newcastle and, and try and find some weaknesses within them? So in that sense, I do think probably just shades towards a negative. But on a positive side, A, Newcastle have known this break is coming. Eddie Howe keeps saying that. And I think the players and the staff have given everything up until this point and maybe they couldn't sustain what they've been doing now without having this bit of a break in between. The players now having a couple of weeks off, the first of which is a complete break, the second of which uh, they then do some work at home before reconvening for the uh, trip to Saudi where they're going to obviously play friendlies up before they come back. And also, they don't have as many players going to the World Cup as most of the sides they're going to be competing with for European football. So in that sense, hopefully that won't have as, as a dramatic effect on them as, as others in terms of potential fatigue going forward. And they also don't have European matches between now and the end of the season, so they don't play as many games. The fixture congestion isn't as much. So I probably err on the side of it just being probably more negative than 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 positive but i do think that 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 there are there are a few sides to it and the fact that it's just unprecedented is we simply just don't know how teams are going to react afterwards it's a negative right now it has to be because we want to play every day let alone every week don't we yeah. because of that of that feeling but it that doesn't mean it's a negative doesn't mean it's a negative come january when you pull away from it and you look at the you look at the bigger picture it'll give newcastle a chance to get some of those players fit again who are who are currently nursing injuries um and then we come back against leicester on boxing day after that league cup game and uh, bournemouth back against leicester in the league and then leeds united and you look at those two games and you think there's no reason why Newcastle can't can't win those two games, and then you're into January, and that's when it starts getting interesting, doesn't it, George? Because this is the the window of all windows. What happens? Do Newcastle go for broke, or do they, you know, do they keep their cards close to their chest and just see what they can do for the rest of the season? Yeah, so there's been questions from Denny N, Martin R, and Tom W about about sort of transfers and and budget and FFP limitations and where Newcastle may look to strengthen, which I'll bring Chris in on a bit. I mean, the interesting thing, I mean, the other thing is that there's Alexander Isak to come back. I mean, that's we had to do we had to do this uh, little half term report for all Premier League clubs, and I did it for Newcastle. I gave Newcastle. A plus plus with lots of gold stars, <laughs> but you you sort of had to name a disappointment of the season, and it was that was really I mean as well as picking a player you know best player of the season so far a disappointment. Well, I I said the disappointment was was Isak just because we've not seen him. Yeah, yeah but Newcastle will have a sixty million pound player coming back, and that's incredibly exciting to fit into the team and the squad that there is there now. The word since since the summer is that they are, you know, they're close to their FFP limitations now. I do also know that right now they're they're talking front of shirt sponsors and other sponsors, so they're working very very hard to try and bring money in. I mean, I I think you know, I I think I think that we can say with some certainty that this will be a ownership that's that strengthens from a position of strength and that's what Newcastle are in, the, in at the moment. So I'm going to fudge it slightly because, I mean, they're in a great position in the table. 
they have players to come back and they're up against it. But you know that if there's an opportunity for them to take, they will they will take it. And in terms of positions, I mean, I would say to strengthen, albeit Isak's coming back, I still think that's the area of the pitch where where they're probably lightest. I don't know if Chris agrees with that. Well, just just before I get on that, in terms of fudging it as well, the, the, the caveat to the answer I'm just about to give is that Newcastle are going to have their really substantive transfer discussions over the course of this break. So at the minute... Howe isn't even sure himself exactly how much money is going to be available. But I know if you look at the summer and the positions that they didn't end up strengthening that they would have liked, he wanted another midfielder and he wanted another, at the time it was a right-sided forward. Now I think they're looking more at a, a wide forward. They also would like further cover at right back. As important as Kieran Trippier is, I think there's a fear that, that given his sort of injury record over the last few years, he has had quite a few injuries if they would lose him. So I may be looking for a younger sort of right back. So the, the, the thing that Newcastle are going to do as well is that it, it, they won't sign a player just for the sake of signing a player. They will look to sign someone if it's the right player and at a price that they are willing to pay that they think is value for them. Even now, you look at the, the money they may have spent over the course of the last 12 months, but they're still, to, eat, to each of the deals that they've done, even if maybe it's been over, overinflated in some ways, for example, Chris Wood, there was a cost-benefit of, well, what is the cost-benefit analysis for us? How does this work going forward? And so I, I don't think that they'll go out and suddenly splash loads of money. I don't expect it to be the same as the last two windows. But if there is a position they think can materially strengthen them and the player that they want is available at a price that they're willing to pay, I think that they will be uh, flexible enough to, to, to move and do that. Benjamin H has asked, who would you consider the unsung hero or heroes behind our fantastic start of the season? Now, obviously, football is a squad game and there has been a lot of mainline sort of top level heroes in the team recently. But who is there out there, George, who's who's kind of flown under the radar a little bit? Well, why don't you why don't you answer this one? Okay. Well, I would have said somebody like Jacob Murphy would be a great shout for that. I think he's came in and played when he's had to, when St. Maximan was injured. He's got a couple of goals under his belt. He's put some great performances in. And he he helped us to to continue to play the way we wanted to play in those games that he that he played in. He doesn't necessarily grab the headlines. He's not, you know, he's not a world beater, but he allowed us to continue to play that pressing game when we wanted to and when when we needed to. So for me, unsung hero would be Jacob Murphy. It's a good shout. I mean, I think you could, you know, you could pick someone like Fabian Cher, who mm, you know yeah. was, but I mean, you can you can pick a lot of the team. Really, you can mention Botman in the sense that you don't talk about him week in week out. That defense has had an awful lot of credit, though, haven't they? They've had a lot of praise for All being right. a brilliant defense. All right, so I'm gonna I'll say Sean Longstaff in that case because um, you know Jalinton has been one of the stories, as we know, of the last year, been absolutely brilliant. I don't think any of any of us would have predicted that Sean would come into the team, stay in the team, and be as good as he has. But he's been brilliant, and he looks like a top-class footballer again. It was fun. It was a funny moment. Chris and I weren't didn't do this interview because we were uh, we were actually waiting for Dan Byrne. But a lot of the other journalists spoke to 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 Sean um, at the end of the match of the weekend, and when they asked him to to stop and speak, he said, "Oh." Where have you been for the last three fucking years? In other words, <laughs> there hasn't been much demand to speak yeah. to Sean because he hasn't been playing, and when he has played, he's been in a you know poor team, and when he's played, he's not been great. But he's been coached back to top form again. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll say Sean. I think I'm gonna go left field. A because I know it annoys George so oh, much. There's a shock. But B there's because I think I think it is. I think it's if you say Miguel Almiron, I'm gonna go. If you say Almiron, I'm gonna go. Wild. You can resign no, no, again. No, no, you can no, resign no. again no. if you do. That. And I mean, it sort of hints to Eddie Howe getting the manager of the month award, and then that picture of the hundreds of staff who Newcastle seem to have now. But I want to go for the actual mainline coaching staff themselves who work there along with how particularly when it comes to set pieces and the specific details like that Newcastle have the, the those minute details are partly the difference between why Newcastle are where they are and they aren't further down in the table and it all is about how and he is ultimately the man who is leading this but I do think the team in and around him are very very important so the likes of Stephen Purchase Jason Tyndall Simon Weatherston uh, the, these guys in and around him Graham Jones I think all of them deserve a credit for, for where Newcastle are as well I'm not I'm not angry with that I think that's nice well you usually say I'm when I go for someone who's not a player you usually kick off when I answer one of these questions so. <laughs> well it doesn't say that it didn't say player it said who's the considered unsung, unsung heroes. heroes so you've you've stuck you've stuck to the brief there that's fine sometimes you can be a contrarian bastard Chris and everything's fine it's alright 
Jared Ars asked, hypothetically, if Newcastle fall out of the top four and end up in the Europa spots or in the top eight, would we still class the season as a success? Yes. Or will it be classed as a failure given no, where we currently no, sit? No, no. not a failure, is no. it? No, come on, Jared. No. Absolutely not. I don't, th- I don't think so, no. I mean, you just have to take a step back. You ha- just have to take a step back constantly at the moment. But no. <sighs> you know, if they lose, if they're in the top four come April and then lose their last five games or whatever then yes, it's going to feel like a disappointment. But no, we've got to take a step back and anything anything up there is is a great is a great success. I don't want to feel disappointment about Newcastle United Football Club for a very, very long time. And I'm not, and I love that. So no, it would be a success for me. Chris Tom Westgate asked, will it ever be this much fun again? This season <laughs> was always a free hit, no uh, pressure. They've already exceeded expectations. Okay, winning something would be unreal. But future seasons will bring more pressure, playing two times a week, need for a bigger and better signings. Is it ever going to be this good? I mean, we've spoken about this before, and George has, 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 has written about it as well, and that this is sort of the time that, that you will probably remember in the coming years. I, I don't want to say that it won't be, because I don't want to suddenly make it seem like that the, 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 this is sort of finite, the, the feeling that, that fans are having and the enjoyment in there. But I, I do know what Tom is getting at, and I think that there is part of that where it's almost, it still feels unexpected, and it still feels like it's, for want of a, of a better term, a, not a free hit, and that they are just, just achieving what they are achieving at the moment and they're not expected to be there and so therefore if they weren't if they were to lose against Leicester next time out as disappointing as that would be in some ways it's like well yeah but they're, they're, they're still going to be in the top four they're still going to be in a very comfortable position and fans and, and club feels united at some point there will be decisions which fans don't necessarily agree with I don't mean in terms of controversial ones but it's just naturally happens where um, a player is signed or a player leaves who not everyone agrees with or there's a commercial deal signed here or there or there's something to do with season tickets that not everyone agrees with and where it still feels like you're in the back end of the honeymoon period so possibly not but I don't want to say that explicitly this is my theory and I'm sticking to it. Last season was the equivalent of 92-93 under Keegan. This season is the equivalent of 93-94. And what that, you know, and what went with it back then was that feeling of suddenly being this huge power behind the football team. There's a manager, young manager driving the team forward. There's a new ownership and there's that feeling around the place that God, anything is possible. Anything is possible right now. And Chris referred to it. It's how I think about it too. Every single game feels fresh. Every single win feels like a surprise. It feels fresh and exciting. There'll come a time. Now, you, you couldn't have had 95-96 at Newcastle when they came so close to winning the title without 92-93, 93-94. And, but by then, you know, the idea of Newcastle finishing top was not a surprise anymore. And the further it went on, you know, there was, I hate the word expectation, but there was that feeling that Newcastle should be up there and could be up there because they had been already. So at some point, we're going to get there with this version of Newcastle. At some point, they they might finish second in the league and we're going to feel disappointed. And I'm not looking forward to that feeling. And it's part of being at a successful club and we get used to it and we judge it by different standards. But this right now is the bit that in in decades to come, people will have the same feeling that I, I have about 92, 93, that this is the moment when it all started. And it's just so very, very precious. And so, yeah, if, if, if Tom, if Newcastle do win something, then that would be an absolutely unbelievable feeling. But it's just so beautiful at the moment. So beautiful. I was I I was watching um, Man City a, a while ago. It might have been a League Cup final or something like that. And I think they won the game as they have done for the last few years running. And um, the fans were celebrating, but they weren't celebrating. They were kind of they were kind of like shaking hands and you know just sort of they weren't they didn't seem that bothered. And I thought if I ever get to that point where I'm not bothered about Newcastle winning anymore, please just take me ticket offers and give us a ban. Because I don't, I don't ever want to feel like that. I don't want to feel like it's normal. No, no. And I know what comes with that is that you have to occasionally lose. And Man City haven't lost for a long time, have they? So I, I don't, I don't ever want to get to that point where it becomes the norm to to, to win all the time. Because I think I would lose sight of 
of, of why I love all this, you know? Well, so so we were talking earlier about shithousing, and I, d- I didn't say this then, but it's I think it was a good point. I was chatting to Alex Hurst, our mate from True Faith, and he was talking about that last 10 minutes, and he sort of said, if you look at Liverpool and you look at Man City, they're used to winning and they know how to win, and so they don't, they don't throw everything into it like Newcastle did in that last 10 minutes where, you know, it got a bit it got a bit dangerous in terms of what they were doing but the sort of nice thing about it from the newcastle perspective was because they're not used to doing it they fight they fight for that win with everything they've got and you've got the same thing in the stand as well you've got that same feeling that same not desperation to win because that makes it sound like it makes it that almost makes it sound like a negative it's a positive there's just this incredible yearning to win and then when it happens you've just got that huge explosion and it's yeah it's 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 extraordinary i think the us against the world thing's massive as well isn't it i, I yeah, definitely totally. feel that totally. at the minute you know it, it, and i know eddie Howe's spoken about it a couple of times but you feel it when you're in that stadium on on saturday when that that last 10 minutes you could feel it it was amazing <laughs> Right, uh, let's move on. We've got lots to get through. Vlad C uh, has said, how do you guys think Eddie is going to fit Alexander Isak into the starting 11 after recovery? And Christopher B has asked, is Maxi not playing because of injury issues or is he dropped, Chris? What do you think? Well, in terms of Isak, when he was first coming in, there was a sort of idea that it would be him and Wilson potentially together, whether that would mean Isak slightly further out wide. I think that internally at Newcastle because they haven't seen enough of the two of them fit together because Wilson was injured when Isak first arrived and Isak himself has been injured for for the course of the, of the last month or so they haven't really trained together that much and so they they don't yet know how compatible they would be certainly in the short or medium term and I think that there's a there's a reluctance to a disrupt the balance that Newcastle have in the side at the moment so bringing Isak in would that change things given that the players who are starting are doing so well you almost are playing with four midfielders now with Joe Linton and Willick almost as hybrid left-sided number eights and left-sided forwards switching positions so that you could potentially upset that and also with Isak I think they just will not rush him back he, he should be back for the friendlies uh, after this in, in, in national break but he still won't have had that much football and he's still adjusting to a new league so I think in the short term he probably isn't going to start too many games as long as Wilson returns from the World Cup fit but if he if he, if, if he really does impress that, that then that balance will, will be struck going forward in terms of Alan Saint-Maximin he hasn't played because he has been injured and they haven't wanted to rush him back too much he still didn't look fit against uh, Crystal Palace in the cup in midweek. No, he didn't. He got 90 minutes, which was important for him in many ways, but Newcastle, as they did with pre-season, have a specified fitness plan for him for this international break to try and get him back so he, he, he's fit and firing. Now, he is he is a more interesting one in terms of, I still think he brings a different attacking element to this Newcastle side, and he would bring that, for want of a better term, X-factor against teams, particularly will come and sit deep against Newcastle, something they still struggle with from time to time I mean, and he could un- unlock that a little bit but I do think you would also lose something certainly off the ball with Alan Saint-Maximin coming in in the same shape and pressing ability Newcastle have so that is a delicate one going forward and there hasn't been the need to rush him back but whether after the international break that changes or not we shall just have to wait and see. But what two lovely questions and points to be making at this point? Because 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 uh, a month ago, how long ago? It doesn't feel like very long ago. A couple of months. People are asking the question: Is Newcastle's squad strength the weak link? Is that what's going to stop them getting into the top four or into Europe or whatever? And we've just singled out Taylor. You singled out Murphy. I've singled out Sean Longstaff. And you know these aren't people that we expected to be playing that the way they are. So it's up to Isak to get into the team. And it's the same with some Maximat. Now, you know, that's the challenge. Is he up for it? Well, I hope so. You know, I hope so. And you've got Shelby on the bench as well, someone who's was expected to be in the starting lineup at the beginning of this season. And, you know, so on and so forth. Elliot Anderson, someone who've got high hopes for. So it's it's a brilliant position for the team to be in. That's up to Eddie Howe to to work out how, how, but the team are winning without those players, and so again, it's um, it's it's a great position to be in, great position, and a, and a big turnaround. 
This one's from JG29. This is some statement, this. Kieran Trippier is the most transformative signing in Premier League history. Discuss. Correct. <laughs> that's it. That's that sorted, right? Time to move on. I mean, he's been a revelation, honey. He's been un- unbelievable. I, I really embarrassed myself this. I mean, not for the first time. I mean, but um, I really embarrassed myself on Wednesday night, actually. Um, I had a chat with him in the mix zone and and then just kind of hung about for a bit afterwards. And um, Did you fangirl him, George? Yes, totally fangirled. I totally fangirled. <laughs> so when Alan Shearer interviewed him, Alan from work, at, uh, in January or February, whenever it was. I've not really had a chance to sort of say that I was in. I was on that call too, because we did it. We did it over Zoom. So I just wanted to say hello, and I found myself saying, "Kieran, I just want to tell you that you're my favourite signing in recent history." Um, I love you, Kieran. He was. I love, I love you. I just. I just love, I love you so you. much. Would you like to be? Would you like to be my friend at all? Um, and he was great. He was brilliant. And he talked. I mean, he talked about how quickly he sort of settled and the kind of gamble he took to come here. But we had a great chat. I just think. Yeah, I mean, he has been one of the most transformative signings in Newcastle's history, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, he, you know, in lots of ways, he sets. The, I think he sets the tone for the team, and I think he's sort of Howe's leader on the pitch. And that drive he's got, that no nonsense stuff, the leadership, the set pieces, brilliant. Coming into the defense, just who he is, what he's done. I think he's incredible. I pinch myself every time he takes the pitch that he plays for Newcastle. He is outstanding, wonderful, brilliant. I would personally name him Emperor of Newcastle if such a title existed. <laughs> so so the restraining order has moved from Isaac Hayden onto uh, Kieran Trippier for George then, has it? Um, no, because uh, I, I, Isaac had to go to court, and I think those still apply. So, I mean, thankfully, he's um, uh, okay. thankfully for him, he's he's still quite a long way away. So, I um, mean, so that's fine. I'm not in danger of breaking that, but yeah, no, certain certain legal um, requirements are still in place, Chris. But I've got a mental image of Kieran Trippier just sitting down for his Christmas dinner and looking across, and George's face is pressed up against the window, just staring at him and his family, <laughs> shining a torch upwards into my face. Yeah, it could happen. Could happen. Uh, right, come on then, we've got a couple more to do. Uh, Thomas Cowan says, Pessimistic George has been missing for roughly one year, so can we please have the current hot take from Pessimistic George 12 months on? Uh, yeah, there are leaflets up on my lampposts. They're <laughs> missing. Um, <laughs> have you seen this man? Angry, jo- angry miserable George. Um, I don't know what to say, Thomas. It's like every one of these questions or every one of these sections, I'm just I'm 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 finishing with the word astonishing or extraordinary or it's brilliant or it's unbelievable. Um, well, my hot take is that it, I, I don't know what else to say apart from just with Newcastle a third. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! It is fucking brilliant there's nothing bad there's nothing bad to say is there there's nothing bad to say um yeah i just want it to i just want it to carry on and um that feeling of wonder it's that feeling of wonder that somehow this is like a dream you know it's it's like this is just a beautiful dream we're all going to wake up at some point but it is that's what it's like that's what it feels like um i mean i've seen a couple of people saying on say say on twitter not newcastle fans but um well, of course newcastle were always going to be in the top 6 with the money they've spent and oh, you know things like that right but, off that yeah those of us who were here and know and have felt felt what it was like a year ago and felt what it was like 5 years ago 10 years ago all the rest of it it's ugh, it's 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 indescribable. I genuinely don't think I've. And we, we, when we record this, we have a little video feed. Obviously, we can see each other's faces. I haven't seen George Cotton smile as much in my entire life as I have in the but, last few months, and it's beautiful. But the, but, but the first year, thank you, Taylor. Um, Is it? I mean, um, I don't think it. I don't. I don't see thought, that. The, the image itself isn't beautiful. The thought of it might be. The first year of doing this podcast, there were times it was like, can we keep doing this because we're just saying the same thing every week? Yeah, it was hard, wasn't it? And. You know, love doing it, and um, hopefully it it provided people with sort of an, an outlet for their own sort of frustration and disappointment and anger sometimes. But it's just the it's just the opposite, and um, I'm finding it very difficult to articulate the positivity in a way that sort of makes any sense because it doesn't make any sense in my own head. 
Oh, it's been a really lovely start of the year, I have to be honest. And long may it continue. We come back after the World Cup. Uh, so just a little reminder that this is the last pot on the tie until after the World Cup. Negotiations are currently underway to return with our second pub-based Christmas special. Uh, so fingers crossed for that. And I'll try not to give everybody COVID this time, like I did last yeah, time we you, met in the if, pub. If you could manage not to do that, Taylor, because that was the worst Christmas of my entire life. Same. So, Same. Yeah. Horrible, yeah, wasn't it? Good. Um, and of course, good. of course, as you all know, the Athletic is the best place to follow the World Cup. Uh, so there'll be plenty to keep you going while we're on our pre-Christmas break. Uh, and if you're one of those people who gets their Christmas shopping done promptly, then why not go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can sign up to The Athletic and pay just £1 a month for your first six months. A nice little present for yourself or a football mad friend or relative. Uh, thanks very much, chaps. I just want to say personally, it's been an absolute pleasure doing this with you over the last few months as we go into our little Christmas break. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed doing the podcast this year, and it's not just because Newcastle are playing amazing football and are clearly the best team in the universe. It's genuinely been a pleasure doing this. So thank you very much for, to both of you for, for your company and for your time. It's been great. And likewise, it really has. And I'm just glad that, you know, Chris has finally um, understood, you know, how wrong he was about is it Miguel or Miguel? I can't remember how Miguel, I'm supposed to Miguel. pronounce it. I keep, I keep getting told off. Miguel Amaron. I'm, like yeah, when you see issues, like issues, George. No, it feels like we've, it feels like we've <laughs> come to a Chris, very this important... Chris, this is three years ago, this. We've done issue, issues already, haven't we? I think we've got to a very important point today where Chris has recognised his many, many failings <laughs> and vowed to become a better person. So here we go. Do you know what? Two weeks ago he said, Joe Willock's been brilliant, but he really needs to add goals to his game, doesn't he? And then he scored two weeks running. And then he said last week, Amaron's been brilliant, but he hasn't given us an assist yet, has he? And then this week he came up with an assist. Uh, Chris, thanks for that, mate. If you could pick another player, please, and say something ridiculous about them uh, as we go back into the new year, that would be fantastic. Uh, Loris Karius is brilliant. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Oh, has anybody seen Ryan Fraser's Tash, by the way? Oh, terrific. No, I haven't seen it. Have you not seen it? It's no. amazing. Yeah, there was a, there was a, one of the team photos. He was at the back, just stood there like some random posty who would wandered in. Oh, I didn't say that. No. Brilliant stuff. Right, that's it. We'll be back after the World Cup. Enjoy it. Come on, England. And let's hope Eddie Shithausen Mags come back and are still beating all comers uh, in the Premier League. Thanks a lot, chaps. It's been great fun. And thank you to all of you out there listening. From Pod and the Time, take care. We'll see you soon. Athletic.